please turn your Bibles to this morning's scripture. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. If you would like to follow along using a pew Bible, you can find the passage on 528. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Proverbs 3, beginning with verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let us pray together. Oh Lord, now in these next few moments, help us to quiet our hearts, to focus upon your words. Give us insight to understand what you are calling us to do, how you're calling us to live. But also, Lord, give us insight to our own hearts. We, we often have blind spots regarding various areas that we aren't paying attention to and we let things slide. Give us the courage and the boldness to deal with those things with your help and in your presence. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We will come back to the text that was just read to us from Proverbs 3 in a moment. But the text from which our subject comes today is from one of our verses of the year. First. Thessalonians 5, verse 17, which simply says, pray without ceasing. Now, if you're like me, I can't think of many other verses in Scripture that potentially puts me under the pile and makes me feel like an utter failure when it comes to obeying a text like this. And, you know, one of the things that we often do with a verse like this and others that are challenging, is that we immediately begin to think what it doesn't mean. You know, a text like this, pray without ceasing, we immediately think things like, well, I mean, it it obviously doesn't mean that you're on your knees 24-7. I mean, you got to go to work, you got to sleep, you know, you got things to do. So it can't mean that. Fair enough. The problem is we never actually get around to what it does mean and what it looks like to put it into practice. So what does pray without ceasing actually mean for us? Is it just a lofty ideal? that Paul is putting before us, are we actually supposed to do it? (laughs) Are we supposed to obey it? And if so, how? How are we to carry this out? Well, I think part of the problem is we often have the wrong perspective and focus when it comes to prayer. In such a way that we often dismiss or ignore verses like this, as clear as they are. 
uh, we sort of say, yeah, yeah, I'm supposed to pray, and then we move on. We don't really think about what it means, what it looks like. So this morning, I want to hit the reset button, so to speak, and try to reflect upon what the Bible tells us about the nature of prayer and what it looks like to live this out. And I think in doing so, we're going to get a better grasp and understanding of what it means to pray without ceasing. And that's really why I've proposed this in your notes. You'll see the title for our sermon is a question. Uh, Are you serious? (laughs) Are we really supposed to do this? And if so, how? Well, I want to highlight four main principles from Scripture about the nature of prayer to help us in this. The first principle is that prayer is natural and necessary for the child of God. It's natural. What do I mean by that? Well, even from the earliest parts of Scripture, the book of Genesis, we see one of the distinguishing characteristics of those who walk by faith, who believe in the promises of God, as opposed to those who don't, is prayer. It's often labeled in terms of the godly man calls upon the name of the Lord. That was a general characteristic of those who believed in God and sought to walk with Him. And we see this in the New Testament as well. Uh, Those who belong to the kingdom of God are praying people, and Jesus assumes this, for instance, in the Sermon on the Mount. When you pray, pray like this. That's a characteristic of those who belong to the kingdom of God. And we've said all along here, when we talk about our discipleship flow and our vision uh, as disciples of Christ, a disciple prays. It's just what a disciple does. We also read in Scripture about the Holy Spirit's work and how the Spirit works to get us to pray. Maybe you've never thought of it like that, but just very briefly, even in the Old Testament, in a text like Zechariah 12, verse 10, where the promise of the Spirit is spoken of, and it describes this Spirit as a Spirit of grace and of pleas for mercy. Or in many English translations, it translates it as uh, a spirit of supplication. This is a nature of the Spirit's work in many ways in our hearts, is to get us to pray, to stimulate our hearts to pray. In the New Testament, we see passages like Romans 8 and Galatians 4, which speak of We've been given the spirit of adoption when we believe in Christ alone for eternal life. The spirit indwells us. And what does that spirit do, among other things? It gives us a family disposition. A relational quality that we relate to our heavenly father as a child of God. And we cry out, Abba, Father. This implies prayer. 
This is a regular characteristic of our lives as followers of Christ with the Spirit indwelling us. That we're crying out to our Heavenly Father on a regular basis. So we've been given this family disposition. Now, whenever we hear of a family situation, and I'm sure we all have these situations on down the line in our extended families, if we hear about a family situation where a child never speaks to their parent or to their father, we, con- we usually conclude, and probably rightly so, that there's something wrong. There's something dysfunctional about that, unhealthy. Now, there may be some compelling reasons why a child wouldn't speak to their father among sinners. There's a lot of baggage, a lot of hurt in family situations. But in prayer, we're talking about the Holy One. Holy, holy, holy. Who is also our loving Heavenly Father. Are you on speaking terms with God today? Or has He become a stranger to you? One to whom you don't talk, or at least don't talk to very much. There's something wrong with that for the child of God. Now, by way of contrast, shared a little bit about how the scriptures speak, that this is a natural thing. It should be a natural thing for a child of God. But the scriptures also speak of the wicked man, the one who does not believe in these ways. Psalm 10, verse 4, In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. So in his pride, the wicked man does not pray, does not seek the face of the Lord. Maybe you're saying to yourself, well, that's not me. I mean, I don't go around thinking the thought in my head that there is no God. Of course there's a God. But listen to another text that speaks of the wicked man. This comes from Job 21. Verse 15, where the wicked man is depicted as saying, What is the Almighty that we should serve him? And what profit do we get if I pray to him? Have you ever thought that? Yeah, he's, he exists, he's out there. He's not actually going to do something in my life if I call to him. You see, that's what we might call a functional deism. Deism meaning, yeah, God's out there somewhere, but he doesn't really interact in this world. He doesn't really do anything in our lives. He doesn't really intervene. He's a nice idea. But what profit do I get if I pray to him? We also know from Scripture, not only is prayer natural to the child of God, it's also necessary. You know, I think sometimes we're, we're often tempted 
to think of prayer as somehow taking a step away from the real world. For instance, I'm too busy to pray because I have more pressing realities to deal with. However, it's just the opposite, according to Scripture. As one writer put it, prayer isn't a stepping away from reality. It's a step into deeper reality. Now, what is that reality, according to Scripture? Well, there's many texts that we could look at, but just to highlight a few. Ephesians 6 tells us that we're in an urgent very serious spiritual battle that's constant, that rages around us daily. We read from other texts that Satan himself prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And we're to put on the armor of God in the face of this battle not against flesh and blood true spiritual, supernatural armor in this battle. What does that have to do with prayer? Well, let me throw this question out. How will we put on the armor without prayer? How do you do that? How do we put on the armor of God? It's not surprising that in that very context of that passage that prayer is emphasized. In verse 18 of that chapter, it calls upon us to be praying at all times with all prayer and supplication. In the context of our verse that we're looking at today, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul has been exhorting believers to keep awake and to be sober in light of Christ's return. And interestingly, in that passage... In verse 8, he actually calls upon them one way to do that, one way to keep sober is to put on the armor. Now, he doesn't go into quite the extent as Ephesians 6 does, but he calls on believers to put on the armor of God, in essence. So again, it implies prayer as a constant need. Jesus himself, when he was in the garden with his disciples, You remember when he told them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. How often are we tempted? Hour by hour, moment by moment, daily. If we're not to fall into temptation, we we need to be much in prayer. It's necessary just to live as we're called to live. Or consider our passage that was read earlier, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 in particular. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. How will you not trust in yourself without prayer? How will you not Or how will you, I should say, how will you acknowledge him in all your ways without prayer, without talking to him? It's impossible. 
Prayer is necessary. By way of summary, hear the words of J.C. Ryle. You might as well try to persuade a man to live without breathing as to persuade a believer to live without praying. It's necessary for our spiritual life. So prayer is natural, necessary for the followers of Christ, but how much is enough? That brings us to our next principle. Prayer has a qualitative focus, not a quantitative focus in Scripture. I would argue to say if we're asking the question, how much prayer is enough in order to obey this command, we're asking the wrong question. Scripture never gives us time limits or quotas for prayer. We merely see a multitude of examples of prayer being offered at different times, in different places, different situations. And the exhortation to be praying at all times, unceasingly, constantly. Now in passing, I'll just say, you know, practically, having set times can be a good thing. Set times for prayer in order to develop the discipline of prayer. Nothing wrong with that. But as the sole motivation, it will become drudgery. And you will cease to do it. So how much is enough? How about this? Pray as much as you need to, according to Scripture. Pray as much as you need to. Think about this. Jesus Christ, the God-man, needed to pray. You ever think about that? Why would he need to pray? In his full, yes, perfect humanity, he needed to pray. How much more do we as sinners need to pray? What about practically? What might this look like? And we'll look at a a number of things by way of application. But Charles Spurgeon said that he aimed to put a few words of prayer between everything he did. You know, one, one way to do this you know, how many of us, you know, throughout our day have these periods of time, whether we're in the car, we're just waking up in the morning, or whatever the case may be, maybe you're at work and your mind's <laughs> flying away to other places. You know, when you're daydreaming or just your thoughts are sort of spinning off in a different direction, include God in those thoughts. Invite him in to that inner dialogue. That'd be one very practical way to acknowledge him and to pray. We might save ourselves a lot of depressive thoughts, discouraging thoughts, if we did that. 
Because I don't know if you're like me, but it doesn't take too long before my mind starts to ramble on to becoming discouraged as you think about different things in your life. Paul's exhortation to pray without ceasing in our text is not about something to be literally carried out second by second. I think most of us know that. Uh, Most of us have explained it that way, you know, that it's not about the time period. But rather, it's to go to God on a continual basis with many prayers of varying lengths throughout your day. Living in a posture of dependence in order to acknowledge Him in all our ways. You see, one of the, you know, one of the texts we looked at earlier, Proverbs, or I mean Psalm 10, verse 4. The wicked man, in the pride of his face, it says, does not seek God. There's a sense in which prayerlessness is pride. It's not understanding how dependent we are upon our Heavenly Father. So think about prayer not so much as a time slot to sort of live up to, but more of a reflex of our hearts, a habit of our hearts, to reach out to our Heavenly Father for help. For we have many needs. One other principle to keep in mind practically, you may have heard this phrase before, but pray until you pray. What I mean by that is, sometimes it takes a while for our hearts to actually engage with God, to really focus. So that that might take five minutes, that might take ten minutes. Might take less than that. But I think most of us know when our hearts are engaged and when they're not. And when we're just giving lip service to the Lord. But pray until you pray to engage your heart without looking at the clock, without looking at your phone, which can be another distraction, and engaging our hearts. So if we're to focus on the quality of our seeking God in prayer over quantity of time spent, then we need to consider our third principle. Prayer is about communion, not about human activity or self-talk. Prayer is an invitation to enjoy God. That's a much more positive way to think about prayer then I have to spend so much time in prayer. I know I need to pray more. I need to spend more time in prayer. Uh, You know, focusing on yourself or your activity in prayer can be very discouraging and defeating. Thinking things like, I know I need to pray more. I'd like to pray, but I'm too sinful to pray. Surely God would rather me keep my mouth shut. 
or would he? I'm too distracted to pray, so I'm just not going to. I wonder if God was pleased with how much time I spent in prayer. These types of thoughts, they're very self-focused. D.A. Carson, in his book on prayer, has rightly pointed out that the most important thing about prayer is what we think about God when we do it. That's the most important thing. This is exactly what Jesus taught in the parable of the persistent widow or the unjust judge, however you know that parable from Luke 18. Remember, he told this parable to his disciples to the effect that they should always pray and not lose heart. So that lines up with our text for this morning. How do we pray without ceasing? What was his answer in that parable? Basically, he says, God is not like the unjust judge. Someone you have to badger or bother so that he will even listen to you or even want to answer you. He says, God's not like that at all. He is ready and willing to listen and to help his children. Our persistence in prayer should be motivated by the character of God. Not by who we are when we come to God. That's always a negative, by the way. Who God is. Who are we coming to? do you think about God when you pray? What are the first things that come to your mind? And you might follow it up with the question, is it true? See, prayer is a conversation and an encounter with the living God. This is probably one of the most important things to remember when you come to him in prayer, that he is the living God. He is actually present with you. Prayer is not merely self-talk. I used that phrase earlier. What I mean is, you know, thinking of prayer as, well, it's really just me trying to think positively and tell myself that things will be okay. But not really somebody listening out there somewhere. It's not that at all. He's the living God. He's really present. We come to a God who knows us intimately. He knows our situation. And as Jesus said, He knows what we need before we ask. So ask. Think on the presence of God when you come to Him in prayer. Think of the presence of the living God as a motive to continually come to Him in prayer. Note also the importance of the Word of God in communing with Him in prayer. Like in any communication, it goes two ways. Now think about this. How inappropriate would it be for you to go to your doctor... And tell him 
everything you know about medicine from the internet and from Wikipedia. All the doctors in here giving an amen silently to themselves. How inappropriate to go to the doctor and tell him everything you know and everything you know he needs to do to help you from your research. You see, this, this type of one-way communication, even on a human level, is foolish, even offensive. Yet how often do we do this in prayer? We do all the talking and zero listening. Now certainly prayer can be offered first. Uh, sometimes situations demand it. You don't have a Bible open to read or something to carry with you in a given situation. But it's a good habit to get into of listening to God in His Word first before responding to Him in prayer. This is part of the two-way communion with God. Pray what you read. And I would encourage all of you, if you're not already on a reading plan, a daily reading plan like we have uh, here at St. Andrew's, any plan will do. But be on a plan because this is what you will listen to and then respond to in prayer each day throughout the day. By the way, this is another way to break out of the vain repetition or the many words that Jesus warns of in a, in a type of prayer that's inappropriate to the living God. Because you'll be reading fresh words every day. Fresh fuel for prayer. And you will be praying according to His will. These are all important aspects of biblical prayer. Now, considering prayer as communion leads us to the fourth and last principle. Because we commune with God, prayer is a blessing, not a burden. To borrow a phrase from Jesus speaking about another topic, prayer is made for man, man, not man for prayer. Prayer is made for man not man for prayer. It's to be a blessing, not a burden. If we rightly understand what it means to pray without ceasing, then we will see prayer as a way to unburden ourselves. Calvin, in his commentary on the book of Genesis, said that in prayer, we are permitted to pour into God's bosom the difficulties which torment us in order that he may loosen the knots that we cannot untie. That's not a burden. That's a way to unburden yourself, to find rest for your souls. Have you ever felt that way? All knotted up emotionally? 
all kinds of anxieties and fears and frustrations. You don't even know how to get it out. Prayer is God's gift to us to unburden ourselves. But it's not just to unburden ourselves. Uh, as Calvin's quote goes on to say, He can untie it. He can unravel the knot in your heart. He can help you. He's more than able to do so. In his confessions, St. Augustine wrote this, and think about how this relates to prayer. He said, Whenever the soul of man turns, unless it turns towards God, it cleaves to sorrow. If you're not taking your cares, your anxieties to the Lord, you're taking it somewhere else, and it's not going to end well. You'll cleave to sorrow. Again, prayer is God's gift to us, to pour out our hearts to Him and find rest for our souls. And maybe today, as you've listened to this, maybe all of us in here, to some degree or another, we feel guilty for our lack of prayer. And we're, just, we're tempted to say, you know, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. And your Heavenly Father is responding to you and saying, fear not, come to me. Come to me and find refuge. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gift of prayer. So often we go through our day with all sorts of distorted thoughts about the issue of prayer. Excuses. Thoughts that it is a burden to us. Lord, help us to remember these truths from your word. Help us to be motivated by your loving, gentle, welcoming character. And help us to grow in the area of praying without ceasing. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.